Well, David, he's at the end. He's at the end of his rope. That's it. I mean, Saul's chasing him. Everybody wants to kill him. Even his enemies don't like him. Now he comes back and everything's gone. What happens? This is very interesting. Stay there because we're going to talk about it in five minutes. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Jan. And this is Bible Discovery TV, where we take you through the Bible in one year. Been doing it for 32 years. This is our 33rd year. It's really, really interesting. And Corey is here with Ryan. Corey? I'm going to be taking a look at what Saul's death can teach us about ourselves and God. Ryan? Did Saul die by his own hand, as 1 Samuel 31 records, or did an Amalekite make the kill, as we read in 2 Samuel chapter 1? It's a good question with a very interesting answer. Yeah, that, that is a great question, and we'll talk about that in about 20 minutes' time. In about 25, Janice is here. Friday's here again. That means we have a question for you anywhere from 1 Samuel chapter 5 to 1 Samuel chapter 31. Lots of details in there. Get ready. First Samuel 30, 1 through 8. Now it happened, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 8. First Samuel 29, 30 and 31. This is really important. You know, there are times that we discover ourselves in dark or devastating circumstances that seem to bring a kind of death to our ideas, our businesses, or death to our work. But as people who follow Jesus Christ as Lord, we wonder why. Why do we have so many problems? The answer is important. Although simple, what we need to do is focus our attention on how God desires us to respond or to react. David, the great king of ancient Israel, gives us the perfect example before he ever takes the throne in 1 Samuel chapter 30. I mean, David, he's lost everything, even his wives and his sons. Everything's gone. 
And to make matters worse, it wasn't only David's loss, but all of his men as well. In fact, it was so bad that in their grief, his men wanted to stone David to death. So what would David do? What would you do? What would I do? Who would he blame? Would he blame God? Would we? No, David did not. The Bible says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. He looked to God and took his instructions from him. One of the reasons for the difficulties we face in life is because we're fighting a battle, a spiritual battle. Yet the war has already been won through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has overcome the world. We need to keep ourselves focused on God and his word and allow his Holy Spirit to teach and to lead us forward. Very important. Now, as we look at the words of the Holy Spirit today, that is God's word, take your Bible guide out. I want to encourage you to write for your Bible guide. Uh, if you have it, you can call us or write to us, or you can go to Bible Discovery TV. That's Bible Discovery TV. And when you go there, you can click on the page that has this on it. It'll take you to a donate page. Thank you so much for your donations. And it'll take you to a place where you can download it immediately and you're seconds away from joining us in reading and looking at the move forward. That's what I've called this. 1 Samuel 30, verses 1 through 8. Now, this is important. So, Father, I pray today that you would help us to see this because this is a hard one, hard one for us, Lord. Help us to understand that you put it here so we can read it and make it a part of who we are in Jesus' wonderful name. And this is what we said together. Amen. Okay. 1 Samuel 30, verses 1 and 2. Let's look at it. Here we go. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag, as the city was given to him by his enemies, Philistines, on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag. They attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but they carried them away and they went. Let me tell you something. David returned to the city only to find it burned and their wives and children taken captive. David goes out, does his job, works with people, comes back and finds this. You see, sometimes our lives seem a mess because the enemy of our soul has taken advantage of us. Has the enemy of our souls ever taken advantage of your circumstance or your situation? Be honest. Now be honest. I can tell you he has mine. Because sometimes I get so frustrated and so mad. Arr, but where's the Lord? Where's Jesus Christ? Yet when I turn it over to the Lord, I say, oh God, help me and help us. God turns it around in a big way. And that's exactly what happened here. Now watch this because this is very important in 1 Samuel chapter 30, beginning with verse 3. So David and his men came to the city and there was, there was burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Verse 4. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and they wept. 
until they had no more power to weep. They cried like till they had no power. Verse five. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. I mean, every man for his son and his daughters. But this, I love this line. Look at this. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. I mean, how do you do that? David strengthened himself in the Lord is God. When we come to the Lord in praise, regardless of the circumstance, he brings a strength and a peace that only he can give. Now, that doesn't mean you don't react. But, you know, acting like a Christian is easy. Reacting like a Christian is not. When we react, that's what's really in our heart. So when we are knocked down, that's it. It's over. We need to understand that God is doing it. It's not over. It's not over until God says it's over. The Lord Jesus Christ. So we say, okay, God, I don't know. I'm in a lot of pain. I got a lot of trouble. I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I give my life to you and I praise your name for helping me even in pain even in sickness, even in sorrow. Very interesting. Let's read on verse 7 and 8. Then David said to Abathar the priest, Abimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, he asked the Lord, shall I pursue this troop? This is what David's asking in the midst of his loss. Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I get them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, you will recover all. Oh my goodness, that is absolutely stunning. David took the lead, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, beloved. You see, our best help always comes through the Holy Spirit working in and through our difficulties. The Holy Spirit, he is the one who we praise for helping us because he is the one who gets us out of the mess that we got ourselves in or that we didn't. Somebody else got us in this mess. But we have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And we call on the Holy Spirit to help us. And you know what the Holy Spirit does? He comes and he helps us because he is the Holy Spirit. That's who he is. See, we are people who are actively involved with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is real. And he's inside of each of us who love the Lord and given our lives to him. And as we learn to lean on him more and more, the Holy Spirit moves. And we need to pay attention to that. That's called living in the Spirit. Very, very important. So, Father, help us today to live in your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, uh, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to 
mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. So by the time the reader has reached 1 Samuel chapter 31, we've witnessed a horrific change in Saul's character. He's gone from an unknown Israelite from the dishonored tribe of Benjamin to a man called and anointed by God to become Israel's first king and a victorious king at that. He's quite successful in his first military exploits. But then we see him transformed into a disgraced, tormented, jealous king. Saul's character has really been drawn out for us throughout the text. So in 1 Samuel 13, we see Saul motivated by fear to take responsibility that is not his to take. He offers sacrifices to God against the word of God, a crime for which he's told that his sons will not rule after him. He will be like one of the judges before him, a single leader rather than a dynasty founder. We then see Saul making unwise, rash military decisions and largely being saved by his son, Jonathan, and I'm sure several of his military commanders as well. In 1 Samuel 15, we're told of a time when God gave direct instructions to Saul to bring judgment on the Amalekites in the same way that Joshua had brought judgment on Jericho. Not only does Saul not follow this order of God, but he builds a monument to himself, just like the ones Israel had been commanded to tear down. Most disturbingly, in all of these cases of offense against God, rather than accept the accusations against him as true and ask for forgiveness, he gives excuses and justifications for his actions. He explains rather than repents to the prophet of God, Samuel, who, let's not forget, once acted as the judge of Israel. It would have been a really good idea to listen to a man like this, a proven prophet of God. Think about the arrogance involved in dismissing the messages that Samuel gives. Now, of course, then comes what Saul is probably most famous for, his jealousy of David, God's anointed crowned prince of Israel, the man who will become Jerusalem's dynasty founder. Saul proves himself an enemy of David by his repeated attempts to kill him, even though Saul has moments of realization and clarity when he recognizes that what he's doing in trying to kill David is evil, he regularly gets swept back up in his envy, overpowered by his own sinfulness, and the cycle begins again. So let's think then about this idea. Just like Israel in the time of the judges, Saul was called to be a man of God, and he starts out well. Just like Israel, Saul ignores the commands of God and goes his own way. Just like Israel, Saul's life goes in cycles. He becomes oppressed, Israel by outside enemies and armies, Saul by a tormenting spirit. The king that Israel asked for ends up being the perfect representation of them. When we keep thinking like this, we realize Saul perfectly caps off the time period of the judges. Not only does he live like Israel in this time period, he dies like a judge. Though he isn't faithful to God, he still manages to defeat the enemy of Israel with his final breath much like the judge Samson. Only the enemy Saul is defeating for Israel is himself. I believe the author of 1 Samuel draws this out for us by the details of Saul's death that he chooses to include. So Saul kills himself by falling on his sword, and then the Philistines find him dead and cut off his head 
just as David had cut off the head of the Philistines' great warrior Goliath. They take Saul's armor and display it in their pagan temple, as David had given Goliath's sword to the tent tabernacle. By deliberately disobeying the word of God, Saul has become the enemy of Israel, just like Goliath was. As the transition between judges and kings, this first king of Israel dies like the sinful judge Samson, defeating the enemy of Israel, but ingloriously. The message to Israel seems clear. When you ignore the commands of God, you become the enemy of God. And unfortunately, Saul would not be the only king of Israel to learn this the hard way. Now, this is just a quick overview of Saul's death and life and part of what he did. But if you want to go even deeper, then I encourage you to head on over to our website because I did a six-part Bible study called Understanding Saul, where I really, really dig deep into the text of 1 Samuel because there's some really awesome things in there. That, that, that is excellent, Corey. And, and I, I would just say that whoever it is who is the author of Samuel, okay, we have suspects that, you know, mm-hmm. maybe it's this guy, maybe it's that guy, but whoever it is, I'm sure they would be thrilled today that they that somebody's paying attention to what they wrote because that's a very very important. What are you doing this weekend? This weekend is uh, the weekend show. Bible Discoveries, the weekend show. Uh, we look at questions that come up when we're reading through the scriptures, and we also answer viewer questions. So check out uh, my YouTube channel for that, Corey Babetchko. All right, Corey Babetchko on the YouTube channel. Very important. Keep that in mind. Okay, Ryan, you're up. All right, well, carrying on with this whole Saul thing, today I'm going to be dealing with an apparent Bible contradiction between the last chapter of 1 Samuel, chapter 31, and the first chapter of 2 Samuel. And here's the issue. 1 Samuel 31 records that after King Saul was gravely wounded in battle, he committed suicide by falling on his own sword. But then in the very next chapter, which is 2 Samuel 1, we read that Saul was killed at the hand of an Amalekite man at Saul's own request. So the question is, did Saul die by his own hand or by the hand of an Amalekite? Well, let's find out. In the final chapter of 1 Samuel, we learn of the tragic death of King Saul at the hands of the Philistines. It records how the battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. Curiously though, when David receives news of Saul's death in 2 Samuel 1 from a young Amalekite, the story is somewhat different. According to him, as he was passing by, he saw Saul leaning on his spear. And indeed, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me. And he said to me, Please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. Thus, while 1 Samuel claims that Saul took his own life, in 2 Samuel we read that it was an Amalekite who made the kill. While there have been some attempts at harmonizing these two accounts, such efforts have not been very convincing. For instance, Josephus tried to make the accounts fit each other by claiming that after Saul's armor-bearer refused to kill Saul, Saul tried to fall on his own sword, 
but he was too weak to do so. Saul turned and saw this Amalekite, who upon the king's request complied and killed him, having found the king leaning in his sword. Afterward, the Amalekite took the king's crown and armband and fled, whereupon Saul's armor-bearer killed himself. But recent scholars have pointed out certain flaws with Josephus' harmonization attempt, not the least of which is his taking of the Amalekite at his word. Indeed, the more likely scenario is that 1 Samuel 31's record of Saul's suicide is what actually took place, while the report given to David by the Amalekite in 2 Samuel 1 was a purposeful deception. Old Testament scholar Gleason Archer makes the very important point that the retelling of Saul's death in 2 Samuel 1 is not presented as being an actual record of what happened during Saul's dying moments. It is only a record of what the Amalekite mercenary said had taken place. But the real story seems to be that he found Saul already dead and so stripped him of his crown and bracelet before the Philistines recovered the body. Coming with Saul's crown and bracelet in hand, and presenting them before the new king of Israel, the Amalekite obviously expected a handsome reward and high preferment in the service of Saul's successor. But to his great surprise, David summarily sentenced the Amalekite to death for the alleged murder of the Lord's anointed. So this report illustrates a really important point that we need to keep in mind as we're reading and studying the Bible. And that is that the Bible will often record what people are saying or doing, and it records what they're saying and doing accurately. But it doesn't necessarily mean those statements are true or their actions are right. In this case, the Bible is accurately recording what the Amalekite was saying, but what he was saying was a lie. We have a similar situation in the book of Job. The Bible accurately records what Job's friends were saying, but some of what they were saying and doing was wrong. And we see that that is the case by God's response at the end of the book to the religious ramblings. He says in Job 38 verse 2, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? That's why when we're quoting or using scripture, it's really critical to understand the context. Yeah, it's true. And then he follows that with about 86 questions. To Job, you know, where were you at the beginning? Where were you when I created this? Where were... And God has a way of taking our reason. He says to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 1, come let us reason together. But he has a way of taking our reason and making it look like nothing. Not mm. that God wants to do that. But when we consider that we are yeah. talking to the creator of the universe, that's very yeah, important. Compared to God, we do know nothing. <laughs> and in fact, that is absolutely yeah. correct. Mm -hmm. And uh, so anyway, it's, it's, we're getting off here. But anyway, uh, if you like this program, uh, the Bible Discovery TV program, then, then just click like it. And if you want to, subscribe to the website, Bible Discovery TV uh, Place. And when you subscribe to it on YouTube, uh, we'll let you know every time there's a new program. And you can hit the little bell to let you know as well. Um, Janice, we have a question. We do. And my question is, What's is question? it hard? <laughs> well, you know, it depends. Okay, so yes. because if this is I gotta, yeah. time, yeah. I gotta tell my friends, because mm -hmm. I got friends that talk to me as well. I gotta tell my friends, this, this could <laughs> well, be a hard question. There's a balance, it could be, there's a balance, because for some, the question is easy. That's for true. some, the question is difficult. It depends on what you've kind of paid attention to. Yeah. Did they read the time. Bible? Well, that, even they, if what, they what did. What did they read? Uh, yeah. Listen, I want to be honest. So, I mean, sometimes, you know, I'll go in and I'll pick something and it's a very small detail. Mm -hmm. And then when we sit down here to record the program, 
I got to double check my answer sometimes <laughs> because you, you, you never know. There are so many details, but yeah, this you is can't just get it wrong. a fun gotta, way. No, I yeah, you get it. <laughs> That's why I always say yes. check the answer because, you know, we all make mistakes. That's how we learn too. All right. So I'll put you on the spot. And, you know, as you guys were talking earlier, don't you love the fact that God asks questions? He does. Absolutely. Yes. You know, uh, and, and that he allows us to ask questions because sometimes, remember when these guys were like two I years do. old and it was steady like, why this and why that? And mm-hmm. and you would give the answer and then, then it would be, well, why? 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 And why? after a while, it's be- because I said so. <laughs> and God doesn't have that impatience mm-hmm. with us as his children, right? We can come to him and look in his word and... Ah, that's one of the 8 billion things that I love about God. All right, enough about that. Let's get to our question. Here it is. What was the name of King Saul's father? What was the name of King <laughs> Saul's father? Now, some of you might be going, oh, I saw I'm going to some... go through my, my Bible. But listen, maybe when you hear the it's names, this. all of a sudden, it's going to go up. That's the one. All right, so here That's it is. That's what happened Don't over panic. here. I just saw Don't it. Don't panic. Clear I didn't give any your hints. thoughts. Clear your thoughts. All right, here we go. What was the name of King Saul's father? Here are your choices. Number one, Kish. Number two, Samuel. Number three, Nahash. All right, Ryan and Corey mm. are on the hot seat. What mm. was the name of King Saul's father? Was it Kish? Was it Samuel? Was it Nahash? Which one of those three? So yeah. what I find helpful in questions like this is to say it in your head, because when you're reading in the Bible, we'll often say like Saul, son Sign of, yeah. mm-hmm. and then if you say it, it doesn't sound right. That's just, that's, <laughs> that's exactly, a question. That's exactly a what happened to me. It, it was like a revelation <laughs> when we were thinking it through. Yeah. So, so what is it? What's the We're going to go with Kish. Yes, going to go with Kish. Yeah. All right. Well, I wonder, is that what you went with? Let's see, because 1 Samuel verse 9, no, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3, it says, Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son, Saul, please take one of the servants with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And it actually does say a better list in verse 1 of that it's Kish. Remember that Pastor Rod Hembry is the name you want to search on YouTube and you can subscribe. And when you do, we've got new videos for you there every single time that you do that. So it's very, very important. Let's pray. Father, I pray today for my friends and myself. We need to know that your Holy Spirit is with us. Father, we give you our circumstances. We give you our needs. We give you our failures. Help us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit.